reading from 1 Thessalonians chapters 2 and 3. Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we've been making our way through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, I have alluded a little bit to the story of Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. And I want to read for you this account, just so you can have the whole picture. This is what happened. After Paul and Silas left Philippi, after they had been jailed there and the Philippian jailer was converted, they went through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica. And there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. This whirlwind ministry in Thessalonica was by no means restful. It was by no means peaceful. It was full of disruption and trouble and affliction. The same kind of affliction that Paul is talking about when he writes to the Thessalonians, we told you beforehand that this was our lot this is what God has in store for us, affliction and suffering that comes specifically from this, that we preach the gospel. You heard what they said about it. These people turned the world upside down with their gospel by saying that there's another king than Caesar, by saying there's another way to live than the way we all live. Because that message, that gospel, was so troubling to those people, they sent Paul and Silas away. They cast them out of the city. 
Now, Paul is reflecting on that, and he looks back at the Thessalonians, and he says, we were torn away from you. We were torn away from you. And the word that he used there is the same word that comes into English as an orphan. You were orphaned from us. We were your fathers in the faith, and then we were separated by this great distance. And now Paul is concerned. He's worried about them. He's been thinking about them, trying to get them to them, but he knows that Satan is actually hindering him. Somehow, somehow Satan is getting in the way so that Paul can't get back to them, to preach the good news to them, to encourage and exhort them in the faith. And so he's worried. But this is what worries him. He's worried that because of his affliction, what he has suffered, they will lose faith. They will lose heart. They will begin to think that the cost of the gospel is too great. That it involves too much sacrifice, giving up too many things, losing the things that you love, suffering, pain, and want, and need. He's afraid that they will become like those plants that spring up among the thorns and thistles and get crowded out by the cares and pleasures of life. Paul's worried. He's worried about it because he has preached something far better than anything the world can offer, but the temptations of this world are strong. They're full of lies. Think of what a lie it is when our hearts are led astray in imagining that the cost of believing the gospel, the cost of living a life according to God's word is too great. What does the world offer us in exchange for giving up the gospel? Money, success, ease, comfort, health, friends, people giving you all kinds of praise and applause. What does the world offer in exchange for abandoning Jesus? All kinds of things that the world treasures. Yes, they are treasures in the eyes of the world, but think about those things. They all go away. They're like a mist that goes through your fingers. They are not something that lasts. They are vain. They're like the kinds of things that Solomon describes in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, Solomon says. All the things that people strive for and they work for in this life, what what do they end up as in the end? but something that you leave behind for somebody else. Somebody else who didn't work for them, somebody else who may not care for them, somebody who may not be wise, who may be foolish or reckless. The things that you work for in this life, they all go away. Solomon says, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, says it's all vanity. It's all a chasing after the wind. Paul's afraid that the people in Thessalonica will chase after the wind. They'll leave the certainty the certainty and confidence of the gospel to go after things that are uncertain and changeable, things that fade and go away. He's afraid they'll be shaken from this firm foundation that they've been set on. And he can't take it anymore. Paul's so worried he can't bear it any longer. And so he sends Timothy, who he calls his son, he sends Timothy to check on them, to see how they're doing. Lest it should be found that the things that he labored for were in vain. Paul's thinking of himself like a farmer who plants a field and then goes to sleep at night and has a dreadful dream that somebody came along and sabotaged that field, sowed weeds among the wheat or went and drove around and destroyed all of the seedling plants in that field. Paul's worried that somebody is going to come, that Satan, the adversary, is going to come, or all of the adversaries that those Thessalonians had in their own town, that they would come, those who oppose the word of God, that they would come And they would destroy, rip up that field, and then Paul would find that his labor had been in vain. He's worried about it because he knows 
that of all the things you can work for in this life, handing over the faith to someone else, handing over God's word to someone else, is the only thing that lasts. Everything else fades away. Everything else slips through your fingers like a mist. But this one thing lasts. What does Paul say about the Thessalonians? He says, you are our crown of glory. On the last day, on the coming of Christ, you are our hope and our joy and our crown of boasting. When Christ comes, it's going to be you that we point to as the proof that we did not labor in vain. Because Paul knows the one thing that you get to take with you is your fellow believers in Christ. The one thing that does not get burned up is those who hold fast to God's word. This is an amazing thing to consider, how, how earnestly Paul works, how hard he works and labors, and how much he loves the Thessalonians. They don't give anything to him except this, that they show the glory of God. They don't give anything to him except this, that they prove by their faith that God is faithful and just that his promises are sure, and that the Holy Spirit has gone to work. He doesn't get anything from them except for this hope, that on the last day, Jesus will slap him on the back and say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you shared my good news with everyone you saw. Those are the great words that we sang in that hymn, God's word is our great heritage. Let me just read for you again what we sang about our endeavor, our chief endeavor in this life. God's word is our great heritage and shall be ours forever. Everything else fails. Nothing lasts forever except for this. We are like flowers of the field that fade and go away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It is our great heritage. It is the one thing that you can pass on from one generation to the next. The one thing that you can give to those you love that will not fail them. God's word is our great heritage and shall be ours forever. To spread its light from age to age shall be our chief endeavor, our chief endeavor, the one thing that we pay most attention to. So here's how we should think about what Paul has written. Later, we're going to find out that Timothy came back and gave a good report of those Thessalonians, that they had indeed kept the faith. They'd held fast to the gospel that Paul delivered to them. But what we should take away from this moment, from this passage tonight, is Paul's zeal for the faith. We should take our own faith as seriously as Paul takes the faith of the Thessalonians. We should care as much about our own faith as Paul cares about theirs. We should care about the faith of those whom we love as much as Paul cares about the faith of the Thessalonians. We should take our cue from him and recognize that everything else fades and goes away, but this one thing lasts. We should work and labor and pray and give thanks that God has given us this good news, that he has given us this treasure, this heritage, and we should gladly, gladly share it with others, putting our trust in God, knowing that he's the one who produces fruit, that he's the one who has given us this treasure, and that he's the one who will make it bear in abundance. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.